your home of the pens. WXDXFM, Pittsburgh. at PPG Paints Arena was the Pittsburgh Penguins and Washington Capitals paying tribute to Charles Dickens. It was the best of games. It was the worst of games. Very exciting. 13 goals. Overtime. The lead went back and forth. But mistakes were made in abundance. Neither team's defense or goaltending was very good. The bottom line is Two points for the Penguins. That's great because you can't get three. This is the Mark Madden Show. 412-333-WXDX is the number to call. Or you can follow me on Twitter at MarkMaddenX. The radio ratings for September are in. And I am number one among men 18 to 49. And tied with DVE for number one among men 25 to 54. The B team reshuffled the deck, but once again, the super genius got dealt blackjack. Woo! I didn't get to meet Tom Hanks last night. Damn it. He was at the Penguin game. He was wearing a sport coat over a hockey jersey, and he pulled it off as only a great actor could. He brought a volleyball as his date. That was kind of weird. Last night was a real flying circus type of game. It was apropos that Chris Letang tied Paul Coffey for most career points by a Penguins defenseman last night. That's 440. Because Coffey would have been very much at home in last night's game. It was a game from that era. A couple things pissed me off, but not enough to get worried about after the first game of the season. I heard the B team earlier. They're more worried about the Penguins after they won their opener than they are about the Steelers being 1-2-1. Matt Murray wasn't great, but he regrouped after a bad start and never lost sight of winning the game, which he did. The Penguins' defense course struggled. Only Schultz had a consistent game. But Tang had more good moments than bad and he won the game in overtime. Gino made that horrible turnover to give Oshie the goal that made it 6-5. The Penguins never got their heads down over mistakes. The Penguins always just keep coming. They have enough firepower to overcome stupid moments, and that's even true, obviously, against real good teams like the defending Stanley Cup champions. But to be a team that should win the Stanley Cup, as opposed to a team that could win the Stanley Cup. The Penguins have to find that consistent defensive responsibility. Look at that Geno turnover, the 6-5 goal for Oshie. Pass through the middle, right on Oshie's tape. Geno, dude, just knock the puck down the boards. You're up 6-4. Settle for winning the game. 
The Pens made 16 giveaways, which is an outrageous number. And the Capitals seemed to have one long, non-stop, odd man break. It was a good stat night. There were so many points posted that Phil Spano, the Nimrod, who tries to coordinate the stats in between making pizza in his portable pizza oven, uh, Spano forgot to put two of the points on the final stat sheet and it had to be reissued. No biggie. You get what you pay for. That's why Darius Kasparaitis hated Phil Spano. Anyway, uh, Gino and Tanger each had three points. I think, uh, Phil, can you confirm that? Sid, Kessel, Gensel, Dumoulin, and Schultz each had two. Uh, Gensel had a nice game. He's a little guy, but he finds cracks down low and exploits them. He should have had the hat trick because how about that save Holtby made on Gensel off that unreal pass by Sid? Holtby made quite a few good saves. The Pens legitimately could have scored 10 or 11 goals. People who don't know hockey are overwrought about Murray. A, it's one game. B, the Penguins won. C, Matt Murray will be fine. His father passed last year, and Murray was hurt a lot. He's an excellent goaltender, very proven, especially for his age. Bullet Club is fine. Matt Murray will be fine. It was a fun game to watch, and on opening night, too. That and two points are just fine by me. An odd sidebar is the new boards at PPG Paints Arena. New boards are being used in the NHL. These boards give more to protect the players more. But the puck just ricochets off them like crazy. And the weirdest thing is when you rim the puck, the puck picks up speed. That is abnormal. In the first period, Tanger went to play a puck that got rimmed. And it picked up speed. He lost the angle. And he lost the race because of it. He talked about it after the game. And he was so dumbfounded, he was laughing. Tanger said, that was a real fun thing to happen on the third shift of the season. Of course, we also have the Steelers and Falcons on Sunday. And it looks like must win for both teams. The Steelers are 1-2-1. and one, The Falcons are 1-3. and three, And let me remind Yins, Atlanta and Pittsburgh was the projected Super Bowl matchup in the NFL preseason edition of Sports Illustrated. Uh, Carl Dunbar, the Steelers offensive line coach, he's doing something real stupid. Uh, Dulac brought it up yesterday. I'll talk about it more later in the show, but here's the front page. Hayward and Tuit aren't playing a quarter of the defensive snaps. Last game, the Steelers won the field for 77 defensive plays. Hayward and Tuit played 57. That's a quarter of the plays. Arguably, your two best players on defense aren't out there. We talk about Hayward and Tuitt being invisible so far this season. Maybe that's why. Use your best players. Dunbar wants to be fresh for the fourth quarter, and I would understand that. 
if the Steelers weren't so often falling behind by so much in the first quarter. Dunbar wants to be rested for the end of the season. Well, the way the Steelers are going, the end of the season won't matter. The Steelers' future is so precarious, it should not be planned beyond their next snap. Play your best players. In an unrelated note, it looks like Vince Williams won't play. Uh, It looks like the Steelers might use L.J. Fort in his place, and I don't get that. We know L.J. Fort is just some ham and agger. We know the same thing about Tyler Matakavich, who's a backup at that position. The Steelers never go out on a limb, but they should, in this case, by using Matthew Thomas, the free agent rookie from Florida State. It's a little risk, but this team, And that defense needs badly to search for some reward. If Thomas stinks, he honestly won't be much worse than Fort or Dirty Red. Better the devil you don't know sometimes. We got Craig Wolfley at 3.30. Colby Armstrong at 5.15. Right now, I want hockey talk. Your reaction to last night, call 412-333-WXDX. The next segment is Coors Light Cold Hard Facts. And they're all about last night's Penguins win over the Caps in OT. Oh, by the way, I didn't get a chance to ask Sid if he was lit. But he was. And I'll tell you why in just a few minutes. Keep it right here on the X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Come, son of Jor-El. Kneel before Zod. Oh, hi. Um... Always great to hear from the lady callers. The X at 105.9. Hockey is back. And there's nothing like washing down a 7-6 overtime win in the home opener over the defending Stanley Cup champions with a cold Coors Light. It's time for the return of the Coors Light cold hard facts. Fact number one, Sidney Crosby was lit last night. Lit AF. The game was an excrement show. Almost a crime against hockey fundamentally. Sid was only on the ice for one goal against and four goals for. Sid was one of the few guys playing by the book. He plays like a coach. He always plays his game. And Sid's battle level in overtime to draw that penalty and make plays was off the charts. Fact number two, it was a big game for Derek Broussard. He got the go-ahead goal at 5-4 and just looked real comfortable on the ice and on that third line with Simone and Rust. Fact number three, Jack Johnson was okay. He whiffed on that breakaway in the third period, and the Penn's defense as a whole was rotten. But Jack Johnson was okay, and that's all he needs to be. Those are your Coors Light cold hard facts brought to you by Coors Light. And Joe, Coors Light drafts for just $2.75 during all Penguins games. And it doesn't say the name of the place it's at in the promo. It just says on Carson Street in the south side. So I assume that goes for any bar that serves Coors Light on Carson Street in the south side. The place is called Dive. Oh, wait. I thought it was a dive. Not sure that's the name I'd use. Anyway, daily food specials too, so check out Dive and get yourself a cold Coors Light during Penguin Games. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. 
We talked about those new boards earlier, how active they are. And that gave a lot of the Pens defensemen troubles, not just Latang. Ole Mata got caught out a couple times by those boards. It's an adjustment. Maybe the Penguins need to practice there a bit more. They only practiced at PPG once. That was on Wednesday before last night. Uh, the Penguins' defense pinched too much, and I know that's part of the game plan, but they weren't physical enough when they'd done it, and the forwards were cheating up when the defense pinched and not back. That cost the Penguins a few times, especially on the 4-3 goal for the Caps when Carlson scored. People are going to pile on the pile on the defense and Matt Murray too, but the Penguins won. It's the opener, and it was a very entertaining game. It could be worse. Maybe it will be if they start, say, 1-2-1. and one. Uh, I saw Jim Rutherford after the game last night. I talked to a retired goalie after a 7-6 game, and I said, Hey, Jim, if you and EJ, Eddie Johnston, would have been in goal, that's a 2-1 game. And Jim said, yeah, inside of five minutes, which is exactly what the score was inside of five minutes, 2-1, and it was 3-2 inside of eight minutes. Uh, it's cool that Tanger tied Paul Coffey for the most career points by a Penguins defenseman at 440. Now, Coffey did that, got those points in less than half the games that Tanger needed, but it was a different era. And no coach today in the NHL or even in youth hockey, junior hockey, college hockey, would let a defenseman play like Paul Coffey did. Uh, it's the youth coaching that stifles creativity that turns hockey players into automatons before they ever get anywhere near the National Hockey League level. For better or worse, that's how it goes down. Uh, Tanger had a few anxious moments last night, but he scored two goals and won the game. He's intense, and he stays with it. 412-333-9939, the number to call. we got Craig Wolfley coming in in just a few to talk about the Steelers and Falcons. People talk about how to get that Steelers offense a bit more diverse, to open the field up more, perhaps for A.B., and for starters, you need a bigger output from the run. At the very least, more commitment to the run. But maybe it'd help if James Washington got a few more targets. Case in point, Atlanta has really involved their rookie receiver, uh, Calvin Ridley. He's got 264 receiving yards and six touchdowns. Six. Wow, that's pretty good. Ridley is a first-round pick, yeah, but Washington went in the second round. He's not chopped liver. I think the more the ball gets spread around, the more open A.B. can get. But that being the case, Ben still has to hit him with accuracy, and they do need a bigger and longer commitment to the run. People have been saying, well, they fall behind so far, they can't commit to the run. Yeah, but the thing is, they went from 21-0 down to 21-21 tied against Kansas City. And when they tied it, they still didn't commit much to the run. And the same went when they fell behind 14-0 to Baltimore this past Sunday night and tied it at 14-14. Uh, Pitt football hosts Syracuse tomorrow, and I don't care. Get another coach, and I might care again. It's a shame because I used to go to Pitt football all the time. 
The big football game this weekend isn't the Steelers or Falcons. It's Liverpool Football Club hosting Man City this Sunday. First place in the EPL is on the line. And Liverpool have hit a bit of a bad patch. But still, I live in hope, so come on, you rats. A couple happy birthday wishes. Today is the birthday of both Mario Lemieux and Penguins Vice President Tom McMillan. Only one of those is a direct descendant of Confederate General Stonewall Jackson. The other one had 199 points in the season once. So you do the math. Happy birthday to Mario Lemieux and Tom McMillan. 412-333-9939, just around the corner, and he is braving injury to be here today. It's the best football talk in town with Steelers all-time great Craig Wolfley. It's the Mark Madden Show on 105.9 X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. That's correct. It's organized chaos. Super genius. I just diddled my lips on live radio for 30 seconds, and you all listened. The X at 105.9. It's time for the best football talk in town. Joining me in studio, it's all-time Steelers great Craig Wolfley. Wolf, I'm told you're a candidate for IR. You you struggled to get in here today. Uh, just came from the physicians. What's the nature of your injury? Uh, I don't know that I can talk about it. <laughs> I, I well, that's true. Bit, had a knee. Had a knee. We don't want the other team to get too much information. <laughs> I don't want anybody. I don't want anybody of the Falcons eyeballing me on the sideline. Go, oh, we can we can pigeon this guy right here. We got he can lay him out. <laughs> I had a little knee swell and had to get it taken care of. You were lifted, I'm told. Yeah, you know. You still do all the all the training stuff. You're I, a fanatic still, aren't you? I, I like to play with my toys. You know, nothing great. Oh, nothing God bless you. Back in the day. I don't look at me. My, <laughs> my, my knee just hurts all the time. My ankles, you name it. Now, Wolf, Atlanta and Pittsburgh was supposed to be a potential Super Bowl matchup. Steelers are 1-2-1. One, one. Falcons are 1-3. and three. What the heck has gone wrong? Well, you've gotten Atlanta. Uh, starting with them, obviously they've they've really hit they've been hit like by plagues of, of injuries First on defense, all, especially. Yeah, I mean they're losing a starter a week. It's like Old Testament yeah. plague here, man. I mean they're going <laughs> down left and right. The curse of the Pharaohs. Yeah, there you go. I mean, you know, so they, they've they've lost their starting safeties, one of the top linebackers. They leave uh, their their top three technique, Gordy. Uh, Grady Jarrett, you know, I mean, so you've got issues, and the guys that are left, you got some small guys, you got some small backers, you got some small interior guys. So you can kind of bully them when you've got the ball, well, especially if you run it, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Exactly. So that being said, you have a prolific offense uh, wearing the, the Falcons' uh, red colors and all that other stuff. I mean, you got you got talent coming out the wazoo with Julio Jones and Mohamed Sanu, and you've got yourself and the rookie guy, the Ridley. The Ridley. I mean, yeah, he's Ridley six TDs. So yeah, you got a lot of talent over there with Matt Ryan. Now let's stay with the Falcons' defense. You mentioned some of the injuries, both safeties, a, a good linebacker. How do teams adjust on the fly after that? I suspect it's really difficult because I look at the Steelers and they still haven't really recovered from losing Shazier here now a year on. There's no question. Look, there's only so much scheming you can do. It's really. To me, it's it again. It's that old saying. It's not the X's and O's. It's the Jimmys and Joes. And really, right. you're starting to see it with with something that happens like Ryan Shazier going out. What what Jimmy and Joe are you going to get to replace that guy? And, and it's the same with Atlanta too, because yes. they're they're trying everything. It's all hands on deck, but you can't replace the guys they lost. No, and they're significant guys there. Uh, it seems I think all three guys that went down on defense. Right now, except for Grady Jarrett, they were all wearing the captain thing. You know, so don't put the C on your jersey. 
you know? <laughs> so, yeah, that's the problem, and that's the issue. And now you've got to have the next man up, so to speak. But let's face well, it. Easier it, said it's, than done. Yes. Yes, that's the thing. Now, uh, in that vein, it looks like Vince Williams will not play. Now, who would you go with an inside backer uh, alongside Bostic? Would you go with LJ Fort or Tyler Matakavich? Or might you take a chance with Matthew Thomas, the rookie free agent from Florida State? You know, I love where Matthew Thomas has made some real upsurge in, in his production on the punt team, special teams, everything else. He's he's getting some reps with the first team defensively speaking. He's got long limbs, able to lock out, but he's not quite there yet where you can turn the reins over to him. Right now, LJ Fort's the guy because LJ's got some comparable speed. Uh, he's a guy that he's a little better in coverage, but I think it's going to be um, a division of labor, as Mike Tomlin likes to refer to. You get Tyler Matikavich maybe playing some Oki. You're going to have the sub-package stuff where LJ Fort's got pass uh, uh, you know, coverage responsibilities. and so that. So that's what I would expect. You get you kind of divide it up there. Uh, this game has some great sidebars. You've got Julio Jones against Antonio Brown, probably the two best receivers in football. It's a shame they can't cover each other. <laughs> now, that would be something. I'd Absolutely. love to see that. That would be something. But I, I, that's the one I think Julio would win because, let's face it, it's 6'3", 220. That's big. Just that's keep throwing jump guy. balls. Yes. You know, I mean, for all Antonio's greatness, you got to remember, one of the things that was significant watching film this past week was watching him catch a little button hook about seven yards into the backfield in the secondary. He turns around, Julio does, and he and when he uh, turns up field, he runs over the safety and cornerback simultaneously. <laughs> runs over them. It's an 18-yard or 20-yard gain off a little seven-yard button hook because his yak yardage is so powerful. Yeah, he's not just big. He's relatively wide for a wide receiver, too. He's got, got some muscle on him. And, you know, it's odd, Wolf, because I really think Antonio Brown is the better receiver between the two, the better pure receiver. Stats bear that out. But I think almost every coach and GM would rather have Jones because, like you said, he's tall. He's prototypical. He looks the part more than A.B. No question, but then it would get into that discussion of Mario and Wayne Gretzky that we were talking about. Off the air, right? Yes, exactly. And stats do bear out that A.B. is the greater receiver in just about all ways. Well, that makes it a good debate. I mean, because, like I said, I think most coaches would take Julio, but uh, I'd take A.B. I would, too. I've I've said it before, that five-year... Stretch that he was he was yes. on. That's the best five years. And hope of any, they can, can get back on. and get back to. And they're going to need him to get back to. And by the way, this is a perfect weekend because here's the thing: yes. when you're standing over there, and you're Antonio Brown, and you know you've you've outproduced everybody else in the NFL, and you got Julio Jones, and now people are going, well, maybe. He'll, let me tell you, you want to be the best wide receiver on the field. That's going to be a big big deal for both Antonio and Ben. No no question. And in that vein, what do Ben and A.B. have to do to get back on the same page? I've never seen, it's more confusing than, than maddening, I've never seen such a proven combination have such a prolonged hiccup. Well, it's true, but then you think back to, all right, A.B. had no preseason. He was at camp, but he really didn't do much. Ben did very little. Uh, you go back to although Ben did practice more than usual, it's just Antonio wasn't out there. Right, he wasn't out there with him, so there really wasn't much as far as them throwing pitch and catch. Now, the one thing I'll say is Lev Bell took him a good four or five games to ramp up to be Lev Bell. So I'm kind of hoping that's the deal. But the fact of the matter is, whatever it is, they've got to get it worked out. And I think it's this, and and I truly believe it. 
when you when you go Occam's razor and peel back all the the, the layers and everything else, it Ben says it. Hey, I got to do better getting him the ball. Yeah. Okay. And here's well, my Ben thing. always says the right thing. Yeah. He always is that's very leadership very accountable. Is. It's it's very talk of the devil, very Lemieux esque. There you go. And and what I would say is this: you know, if that's the bottom line, what it is, I'm okay with that because. Having been privileged to see in person every game Ben's played right. in the pros, I know this to be true. You can stand in the huddle with that guy, and at any moment, seven can turn it around, lock and load, and take you to the promised land because of the fact he is such a great player. That's what he has always delivered on. That's okay by me if he's a little bit off early on. He's always found a way to get rally the troops and become the, the great player that he is. We're talking to Craig Wolfley. You can hear him on DVE from the sidelines during Steeler broadcasts. Wolf, uh, it's just me maybe, but I'd like to see James Washington a little more in the mix. And my inspiration for saying that is Atlanta has a rookie receiver, Calvin Ridley. He's playing a big role. And by all accounts, it's opened up the field for all the other weapons. There's no question. And the fact that you have a young guy like Calvin Ridley, six TDs, uh, he's out there. He's That's averaging. a lot of touchdowns. Oh, it is. It is. I mean, if I look at him, he's, he's averaging almost 18 yards a catch. That's pretty good stuff. The fact is, what we've had is uh, Vance McDonald coming on for the Steelers and taking the place of a third wide receiver in some ways. You know, now one of the things that happened last week, and Tunch really did a great job pointing out during the broadcast, CJ Mosley, whenever he blitzed, Vance just, and Jesse, they just found their way into the middle of right. the field. They right. stopped blitzing they went where the second he was. half. Yes. And so in the second half, they stopped blitzing. So you didn't see Vance. You didn't see Jesse. That's when a third wide receiver becomes so important, being able to get that one on one matchup and win that one on one matchup. Do the Steelers need to necessarily run the ball better? I mean, that would help. Or do they just need to run the ball more? Would, would more of a commitment to the run also help open up the field? You know, I learned a great lesson when I was a young kid. I used to work for my grandpa. My grandpa had a construction company. He used to get me on Saturdays. I thought maybe he was a running back. <laughs> <laughs> he gave me a sledgehammer, and he had all this concrete he wanted me to break up. So there I was, 12, 14, 15, somewhere in there, and I'm swinging a hammer for 20 minutes. It's no wonder you played so long in the league. <laughs> my God, you were training every minute. I'm, I'm trying to swing this hammer, and, and nothing's happening. There's no crack. There's no nothing. Hey, Gramp. You know, there's nothing happening. Stay with it, boy. 40 minutes, nothing. <laughs> Finally, about an hour and 10 minutes, you know, as I'm yelling at my grandpa, then nothing happened and something cracked. And what it was was a lesson in life. That's how you run the ball. Sometimes you got to keep swinging the hammer and swinging the hammer, but to be able to do that, you've got to make sure defensively you're keeping the game close because at 21, nothing, you're down 21 or down 14, swinging the hammer is not going to get you anything but tired. It might have been the most depressing thing last week in that loss to Baltimore that the Steelers only had 19 rushing yards. Wolf, that's the fifth lowest total in Cobb history. That's just, I don't know what to say. Is there anybody that was associated with me that was on the F4 ahead of it? Because <laughs> I, I don't want to be a part of that one. Maybe it's best not to look that yeah, up. Maybe it's best not to. I would say, look, at that is really disappointing, and I truly believe that James Conner has in him um, what he showed in week one. Now you got to get back to that. But to do that, you've also got to make sure you don't get down to the point where you can't feed the ball to a guy and let him develop that rhythm and that, that uh, sense of what's going on. Well, what confused me a bit was, and I, I talked about this just before you, you, you joined the program, I know it's tough to run the ball when you're way down. But in the case of the Kansas City game and then the Baltimore game, 
They caught up from being way down right. and still didn't take that opportunity to run the ball very much. Exactly. And what bothered me was... When you if you look, don't establish, you can always reestablish. No question. And it never was. And I don't understand exactly why. I mean, all you think about in, in the Ravens game, 2-12 uh, on third downs. Second half, yeah. your six, last six drives went punt, 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 uh, interception, and turnover on downs. You can't do that. You just can't do that. And the offensive line knows they'll sit there and the guys will tell you, look, we got to do better. I mean, you got to open holes. You got to protect. No matter what, one thing offensive linemen are extremely accountable. These guys know they're going to, they got to up their game. They got to be the lead dogs on, on pulling that sled. I want to get back to Atlanta for one second because uh, they can score points and the quarterback, Matt Ryan, Oof. he's very good. But, but let me ask you, where do you place him in the pantheon of current quarterbacks? Because his resume's a little bit checkered. He had that huge year in 2016, you know, first-team All-Pro, but he's been in the league 11 years, hasn't won a Super Bowl, made All-Pro once, and only, in quotes, only four Pro Bowls. Now, that's pretty good, but it ain't Ben. No. It ain't Brady. No. And people tend to put Ryan in that class, and I think he might be pert near but not plum. There's no question. There's the top guys, the Bradys, the Bens, you know, those are the guys that got Super Bowl rings. Those are the guys that are able to put a team on their back and take it all away. You got guy Matthew Stafford. How could you argue with a guy like that? But yet, what's he won? You know, I mean, it's difficult. The problem is, you look at a guy like Matt Ryan. He's got offensive numbers coming out the wazoo right now. He's averaging sixty-eight point three completion percentage. I mean, my my math skills are terrible, but that's a lot. Okay, that's <laughs> that really is. I, I know that's a lot. You know, so I rate him up there. He's near. He's near the upper echelon, but he's not a franchise guy. But that... you, you know what? Part of the problem is too, and I'm saying this in in deference to him. For years, Wolf, like there have been some guys who kind of automatically make All Pro. Right. Whether it's Brady, it was Peyton Manning for years, Brett Favre for years. Some guys automatically get it, even if they're a smidge off. So maybe that's limited Ryan a bit, too, in terms of that recognition factor. Aaron Rodgers, guys like that. There's no question. I mean, there's some great players there. But, you know, you look at him. Right now he's got a 114 uh, quarterback rating. I mean, he's in my mind, he's capable. He's he's fully capable. He's just hasn't been the guy that's uh, taken him and put a ring on the finger. I mean, that's... Came close. Yeah, he came very close. You know, uh, I think if, if Grady Jarrett... Who's now out? Their three technique guy. If he hadn't exhausted himself sacking Brady, <laughs> you know who knows? He might have had one. Little rope and dope there. Um, do the Steelers need to adjust? And I'm talking both sides of the ball, Wolf. Do they need to adjust or change, or just do what they're doing but better? That's an abstract question, but I'm honestly not sure what the answer is. You know, honestly. I always think in situations like this, I go back to 89, and I know some people say, oh, it's a dinosaur talking about 1989. All right, 1989, again, we lost 51-0, then 45-10 to Cincinnati. You know, the first two, we got we got Minnesota coming in. And the so big much thing for not was, bringing up bad parts of your history. Exactly. Well, I got to do this, you know. And the <laughs> fact is, you know, Chuck said this, and I'll never forget. He said, look at all the questions that you have concerning what's going on, on out there, they're all answered by the guys inside these four walls. All right. Everything you want to know, everything you got to do, it's right here. Look, we're not changing, guys. There's nobody riding in from the East. What we've done is has been proven to win. So what we need to do is do it better. And I think truly they need to do it better. Don't tell me Cam Hayward's not capable. Don't tell me Steph Tewitt's not capable. I believe that they are. I mean, I still believe TJ Watt. 
that flash of three and a half sacks in the first week, he's got to reestablish and come back and, and do more. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. I'm one of a kind on the radio. Thank you for being the best damn radio host in Pittsburgh. It's a family affair. The X at 105.9. If you want visual proof of why the NFL is so irritating, check out a tweet by Brian Billick, the old Baltimore Ravens coach. I posted it on the Mark Madden page at WXDX.com along with some commentary of my own. The Indianapolis Colts got a turnover last night, and they did one of those pose-a-picture celebrations when they were down 24 nothing to New England in the third quarter and they had played like crap all night. They did one of those group portrait things after they got a turnover in a game they were losing by 14. The D had played like terrible the whole night. But in the NFL, the score doesn't matter. The celebration does. It's not about the result. It's about swag, which is why hockey's the best. It's about team and result. And I know X amount of you and a bunch of guys on the B team are going to say, ah, they're just having fun. Let them have fun. What's wrong with fun? When you're down by 14 and you do an elaborate celebration, you're not having fun. You're being a bunch of jerks. And that is all the people need to know. Hey, proof's in the pudding. The Pats won 38-24. So that turnover in group portrait did not turn the game around. Brady had three touchdown passes, including number 500 on his career. Uh, Amy Schumer, the comedian, and Emily Ratajkowski, I'm not really sure what she does, but she's very attractive. They got arrested in D.C. while protesting the Kavanaugh nomination for the Supreme Court, and good for them. I give credit. At least they put something on the line. Ratajkowski was wearing skin-tight jeans and a halter top with no evidence of a bra. I believe that's out of the Abby Hoffman protest wear catalog. No Quarter brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com. In just 30 seconds, we're going to talk about the Steelers versus Falcons game at Heinz Field Sunday. Don't forget, I'll be doing a Steelers pregame show right here on the X. I do that before every home game from the dock of the Gateway Clipper fleet. This game's supposed to be between two Super Bowl contenders, and they've fallen quite far. But, but the interesting thing is, wait till you hear some of the stats and numbers that go with it. Yikes. It's 30 seconds away on 105.9.